Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. This is episode 322 of the podcast for October 30th, 2018. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different than the interviews that uh, I normally host here. Um, it's been a sad week. Um, a number of us in the lean community have lost uh, a friend, um, a real thoughtful, inquisitive member of uh, the lean community, if you will, uh, Sam Soleil. Uh, he passed away at age 34 in uh, a kayaking accident. Uh, he, he leaves uh, a wife and four children who are under the age of 18 in California. There is, a, if, if you know, um, you know, if you have read any of Sam's um, articles on LinkedIn, if, if you've read the chapter he contributed to the anthology book Practicing Lean, or if you've uh, seen the guest article he wrote for my blog uh, pretty recently um, as he was trying to find a job, um, it's really, um, you know, kind of following, <laughs> more following a calling um, that, that Sam had to try to help improve healthcare. And um, if you want to help support his family, they have a GoFundMe page and account set up that I've uh, linked to. If you go to leanblog.org slash 322, um, they could also use um, your thoughts and prayers um, if, if that's what you can um, contribute. But, you know, I met Sam a couple of years ago. We weren't close friends by any means. I mean, we had never met in person, but we talked on the phone a couple of times, had a couple of fairly long conversations. We exchanged many emails on topics uh, related to lean and improvement. He shared uh, an interest in um, kind of a methodology called motivational interviewing. Uh, where I've, I've talked to people about that here on the podcast. Uh, he read one, if not both books about motivational interviewing. Uh, on, on my recommendation, we'd had a couple phone calls about that, trying to understand it. How can we apply it? You know, we had talked about doing some mutual um, coaching, if not counseling, with each other to help practice uh, motivational interviewing um, to try to help each other out. Um, and in fact, I, I have um, some text messages that we traded where he was absolutely um, coaching me, um, trying to get me to articulate my, my motivations for writing and completing uh, my most recent book. So, you know, Sam uh, was a Marine. He did Lean Six Sigma work in the DOD. Uh, he took a job in the private sector in California and was trying to try to work his way into healthcare. So I, I, I feel horrible. You know, I, I regret. I don't know why I didn't invite Sam to do a podcast. You know, he was a learner and, and a thinker, and he had a strong sense of purpose. Uh, Ron Pereira and the Gimba Academy podcast had Sam uh, on as a guest, so I, I would encourage you to go find that in the podcast directory. That's the Gemba Academy podcast. Since I never had a chance to interview Sam, what I'm going to do in this episode here today is read the blog post that, that he wrote for me on my blog about some frustrations that he faced in his attempts to get into healthcare. And you know, I think it, he was really 
interested in improving safety and quality. And he had some really, you know, um, kind of deep set principles that he was trying to follow. And, you know, he had that, that first uh, job opportunity didn't turn out the way he would have wanted. Um, he pulled out of the job search, as, as you'll hear when I read his blog post. He had found another organization in Southern California that I think, I don't know if he had had a first interview with or a phone screen, but he, he was much more encouraged about that. And I, I think it's just sad that um, that we've lost his potential to help solve problems that really matter in, in healthcare. And we miss out on his opportunity to share reflection, reflections and um, to coach and teach and and learn and practice lean. So um, I'm, I'm gonna read the blog post. I'm gonna share audio from the audiobook version of Practicing Lean. Uh, again, unfortunately, it's not Sam's voice, but it's Sam's words that I would like to share. Um, the audiobook uh, as read by uh, the narrator who, who read most of the chapters for that book. So I will stitch that together here into the podcast. I, I hope you find it enjoyable. Um, if, if you knew Sam or if, if you didn't have a chance to meet him, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of comments posted on LinkedIn and, and reflections from people who had met him at conferences and, and different events. And, you know, he might have been too humble to think or say so, but uh, he made an impact on people. And um, it's, it's, it's a loss. So the first thing I'm going to do here is uh, read the blog post that, that he wrote uh, on leanblog.org. So before I read his post that was titled, A Lean Healthcare Job Interview Process, Thoughts and Reflections, uh, let me read uh, his bio to give a little bit more context about Sam. He had been practicing lean since 2010 and had been using lean and Six Sigma methodologies in the military federal government and manufacturing sectors. He worked in the United States Marine Corps in supply chain, logistics, quality, and continuous improvement for 13 years, worked as an on-site consultant for the Department of Defense, Defense Logistics Agency for one and a half years uh, before joining uh, a company, RAB Lighting, as a lean facilitator. He has a BS in management studies from the University of Maryland University College, an MBA in management and strategy from Western Governors University. And he was a certified Lean Six Sigma black belt through the University of San Diego. Um, Sam is passionate about, I, I hate reading this in um, the past tense, sorry. Sam, uh, Sam was passionate about helping others solve problems and continuously improve. He focused on developing others' problem-solving capabilities to drive sustainable improvements and a lean culture. So again, here is um, that blog post. And you know, to set context, you know, we traded some um, emails, messages through LinkedIn um, about his job search. And you know, he, I asked him if he would share it as a blog post, and, and he agreed. You know, because I talked to many other people who've run into similar roadblocks and frustrations when trying, uh, you know, with the best of intentions, to bring their lean skills and experience into healthcare. Um, so here's the blog post published August 20th, 2018, a lean healthcare job interview process, thoughts and reflections. Again, these are the words as written by Sam Soleil. 
In June, I was informed by my, my employer that the company had decided to go in a new direction. They said they would now build lean into their processes and enable process owners to be responsible for all continuous improvement functions. To date, I don't know many organizations that have been able to successfully embed lean into everyone's work and sustain it. While this move left me unemployed, it could not have come at a better time. My kids had just started summer break from school and I got to spend the whole summer with them enjoying Southern California, where I reside. As I began exploring new opportunities in lean, I used this as an opportunity to attempt to get into healthcare to practice lean. Until this point, I had only practiced lean in the Department of Defense, Government, and Manufacturing. For me, I wanted to try to get into healthcare for several reasons. It's broken, errors are occurring, and costs are rising due to the poor quality of care. Some have gone as far to say that medical errors are now the third leading cause of death in the United States. Here's a report, it's linked uh, in the blog post, uh, a report by Johns Hopkins on this subject written in 2016, and Mark shares some other statistics here, which is also linked to in the blog post. And, and this is Mark interjecting here that um, I will link to this blog post if you go to leanblog.org slash 322. So back to what Sam wrote. Additionally, being a 13-year United States Marine Corps veteran with four surgeries while on active duty, I can candidly say that there is room for improvement in healthcare for active duty and veterans through the Department of Veterans Affairs. I would one day like to help improve the Department of Veterans Affairs healthcare system through the deployment of lean as a philosophy and management system. Whether it's healthcare in the private sector or government, there are great opportunities to use lean to improve patient safety, quality of care, and service. After applying to numerous lean healthcare roles, I finally got an interview. The position seemed to be a good fit for what I was looking for. The position summary read, quote, Partners with managers and employees to facilitate, create, and implement process and systems improvement, parentheses, lean healthcare. The job posting also went on to say that the person in that role would, quote, promote a true lean culture, end of quote. Then the job posting, there was a line that didn't sit right with me. As it turned out, when I had the opportunity to ask questions about this, it completely painted the picture of what leadership's real expectations and focus were at their healthcare system. Quote, Willing to do diverse work to assist anyone or any team in the hospital to reduce waste in the lean sense, reduce defects, reduce cost in the traditional sense, improve productivity, increase revenue or volumes, and take time and complexity out of processes, end of quote. Working in other settings, I've found that leaders care a lot about cost, efficiency, and productivity, even though safety, quality, and service are supposedly what the company cares most about, as outlined in numerous company policies and documents. When I asked about that last sentence, I was told that cost savings was leadership's top focus. The interviewer went on to inform me that the healthcare system had been cutting costs by laying staff off and increasing staff utilization to increase productivity, which resulted in a reduction of costs. I was informed that I would be responsible for finding ways to further reduce costs through lean. Laying off staff is not lean. There comes a time when organizations must use layoffs to stay profitable. I was just part of a wave of layoffs, which included the whole lean department. The hospital can choose to cut costs through layoffs, but they should not be calling it lean. Toyota, who is arguably the founder of lean, coming from the Toyota production system, has emphasized that lean is focused on improving flow and quality. 
In more recent years, maximizing customer value has been a broader use of lean. The Lean Enterprise Institute has defined lean as creating more value for customers with fewer resources. How then do layoffs and increasing staff utilization resemble anything close to lean? While increasing utilization may reduce costs, it may hinder flow when there is a rush of patients. I don't think you would want your fire department at 100% utilization. In fact, I'm currently living through three of California's largest fires in state history. My kid's school has been closed due to poor air quality. I'm thankful that the fire departments around the state have the capacity to support and fight these fires. What is going to happen when the ER at this hospital, who's boasting at being at a high utilization rate, has a surge of patients? Prior to the completion of the interview, the conversation turned toward compensation. It was here that I learned that the pay range for the role was much lower than the rate I'd been earning in previous roles outside of healthcare, plot close to 50% lower. This aligned with what I was told earlier about the focus on cost cutting. My perception of the low compensation is that the executives don't value lean and didn't want to commit to a pay range that was commensurate to leaders in the healthcare system. I sensed that lean was something that was being delegated to someone else or someone that's beneath them. My experience interviewing with this healthcare system was a learning lesson. After that interview, I decided that I did not want to move forward with the role due to leadership not truly understanding that lean is not only a set of tools that can be used to cut costs, but is also a philosophy and a management system. I didn't understand how they got the idea that lean's purpose was to cut costs. Also, to allude to what I've just said, the low compensation for the role also indicated to me that the executives really didn't value lean. They needed someone to find ways to cut costs and do other quote-unquote lean things to hide the fact that they were really only focused on cost reduction. Again, lean can't be delegated. It must be led by senior leaders. To quote leadership author John Maxwell, everything rises and falls on leadership. So that was um, Sam's post. What follows next is uh, audiobook audio of the chapter that Sam wrote for our book, uh, Practicing Lean. He was uh, one of the people I invited uh, to contribute a chapter uh, to that book. Um, I, I hope you uh, hope you enjoy it, read in, in the voice of uh, the woman who was our audiobook narrator. Chapter nine, Samuel Soleil. Samuel Soleil is the continuous improvement manager within his organization in the Marine Corps at Camp Pendleton. He has worked in the field of supply chain and logistics for the past 12 years. For the past six years, he has managed his organization's continuous process improvement Lean Six Sigma program. During this time frame, he has facilitated and mentored 28 completed Lean Six Sigma projects or Kaizen events. Additionally, he mapped and standardized 36 processes conducted 90 process audits, and implemented his organization's quality management system, resulting in a 20% reduction in shipping defects. Along with project leadership, he has instructed and certified 481 employees as Lean Six Sigma Yellow Belts and 121 employees as Lean Six Sigma Green Belts. He is a certified Lean Six Sigma Black Belt from the University of San Diego, a certified logistics technician from the Manufacturing Skills Standards Council, and a certified ISO 9001-2008 internal auditor from the Worldwide Quality Network. He holds a BS in Management Studies from the University of Maryland University College 
and an MBA in Management and Strategy from Western Governors University. Learning Continuous Improvement Reflections on Practicing CI in the Marine Corps Over the last six years, I have had the great privilege and opportunity to learn and practice continuous improvement within the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps has an umbrella approach called Continuous Process Improvement, which encompasses the mythologies of Lean, Six Sigma, and Theory of Constraints. As I transition into the private sector, I have been reflecting on the valuable lessons I learned and would like to share them as a way to give back, just as my mentors taught me to pay it forward. Cultural Roadblocks to Deploying Continuous Improvement The road to pursuing excellence and continuous improvement within the Marine Corps has not been easy, and I had to unlearn some behaviors that were counter to what I now understand true continuous improvement to be. The Marine Corps is, by design, a command-and-control, top-down structured organization. The resulting culture has posed challenges for continuous improvement professionals like myself. For example, in improvement teams, lower-ranking individuals are timid because they are not accustomed to voicing the true current condition, out of fear of retribution. The same is true in the classroom setting when talking about problems that hinder operational excellence. A countermeasure I put in place was a set of rapid improvement event slash project team meeting rules. These include 1. Everyone on the team speaks professionally and with an equal voice. 2. Respect all ideas and ideals, once verbalized, become the property of the team and not the individual. 3. Check your rank at the door, in order for everyone to have an equal voice. In addition, the one rule I establish before coaching a team is that I will not allow the sponsor to suggest solutions. I have to be very tactful when having this talk with the sponsor, who is usually a senior leader and who is used to making all the big decisions. The reason for this rule is that it's disrespectful to tell an improvement team what to do. If the senior leader has an idea and will not budge, I tell them there is apparently no need for a cross-functional team and that he or she has no need for the team to solve the problem because the sponsor has the solution. This is a large organizational cultural change that must take place. Also, senior leaders get too focused on results. Yes, continuous improvement will yield big results via problem-solving, but there is another side to the coin that is equally important. The second reason for problem-solving is to facilitate learning and build capabilities within the organization via the problem-solving process. Lessons Learned from Japan I had the honor and privilege of working and living in Japan between 2005 and 2007. My time in Japan was long before I was ever exposed to continuous improvement, but there was something different about the culture of Japan compared to the United States. Unfortunately, while practicing CI in the Marine Corps, I was never exposed to what respect for people was. It was never taught in any of the training I went through. Even going through black belt training through the University of San Diego didn't introduce me to what respect for people meant. It wasn't until I disciplined myself to a journey of self-learning through reading, listening to podcasts, watching webinars, reading blogs, and applying as much as I can that I learned what respect for people was. Now, I have a good grasp on the concept of respect for people based on the last two years of dedicated learning. Now, I can understand what the difference was between the culture of Japan and the United States. First, respect for humanity is a better translation that more clearly represents what I was exposed to for nearly two years in Japan. Some key takeaways I can still remember are 1. 
an attitude that reflects a sense of pride, admiration, and esteem for others. 2. Pride in the community and country. I was taught not to spit, throw trash, or litter. When going to restaurants or certain homes, you were expected to take off your shoes. If given chopsticks, you were expected to use them. 3. Demeanor of joy and happiness in the workplace. When in Japan, I went on several tours of factories and witnessed people on the front lines being delighted in their work. What I have done based on these key takeaways are 1. Create an environment which is conductive to sharing and implementing improvement ideas within all ranks of the organization. My CI team within the Marine Corps has created and implemented many great ideas based on Alan Robinson and Dean Schroeder books, Ideas Are Free and The Idea-Driven Organization, and Mark Graybon's Lean Hospitals. 2. Make myself an equal to those that are of lesser rank when I feel it is hindering great ideas. I will put rank aside and talk person-to-person on a first-name basis. 3. Go to the Gemba, ask why work is being done the way it is, and show respect from a curiosity perspective. This allows for deep conversation about improvements. 4. Lead with respect by following a servant leadership model. The approach I take is, follow me and we'll figure this out together. Practicing Continuous Improvement When I first started practicing CI, I was a tool head and ended up wasting my time and my team's time by trying to use as many tools as possible. But, over time, I have learned the problem-solving process, and I only develop, test, and apply countermeasures to address the root causes. Next, I had to learn the hard way that being a doer, a belt, and a facilitator hindered the growth and development of the problem-solving capabilities within my organization. For the last two to three years, I have been working on being a teacher, coach, and mentor. I have learned to lead with questions— and only teach when I know the other person doesn't understand the mechanics behind a tool. Also, I also had to learn that my inability to stop and listen and ask Socratic questions hindered the output of the improvement teams I was facilitating. Additionally, I feel that I have only scratched the surface of knowledge in the field of CI. I subscribe to Malcolm Gladwell's view of 10,000 hours or 10 years to mastery. As I continue to learn and grow in the field, I find Albert Einstein to be 100% accurate in which he said, The more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. Problem-solving process The continuous process improvement journey for the majority of the USMC began in the spring of 2006. Secretary of the Navy, Dr. Winter, with his industrial background, was the catalyst for transformation in the Department of the Navy using Lean Six Sigma. Given Lean Six Sigma was the approach, the scientific methodology that is utilized is Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve, Control, DMAIC. Over the last six years, I have found people to get too wrapped up in the tools within DMAIC. Within the last year, a countermeasure I have taken and used within my organization is create and implement an eight-step problem-solving process, very similar to the Toyota business practice, which works to help people think more holistically about problems. Additionally, the eight-step problem-solving process helps people think through DMAIC more cyclically versus the traditional linear model. The eight steps are 1. Define and break down the problem. 2. Set a target condition. 3. Grasp the current condition. 4. Conduct root cause analysis. 5. 
Develop and test countermeasures. 6. Refine and finalize countermeasures. 7. Standardize best practices. 8. Measure process performance. I hope that everyone can take away something from my lessons learned. And yeah, I, I particularly uh, I appreciated Sam's reflections. You know, the spirit of the book was, you know, talking about uh, mistakes that we made and lessons that we learned and, and things that we were um, trying to do better. Um, got a strong sense in my interactions with Sam that he really um, internalized the idea of continuous improvement, that it wasn't just something, you know, it wasn't good enough to just um, criticize others, but it was really something we need to look within and, and try to figure out how to continuously improve um, the way that we improve. You know, I appreciate the challenges he faced of, you know, trying to help uh, shift a, uh, you know, a, a culture that, that was command and control um, to one that was uh, more engaging uh, in a different way. So I appreciate that, that he shared those reflections. Um, if, if you um, want to read the chapter, uh, I'll post, uh, I've already posted the full text of it online uh, in, in the post where I wrote about um, Sam's passing. And I will also post a PDF that you can download there at leanblog.org slash 322. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.